Here is another powerful message from New Vision Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. To hear the rest of this series and others, join us at newvisionlife.com. It was a Saturday morning. Just like any other Saturday morning, nothing exciting happening. So I woke up and I drank my cup of coffee sitting on the back porch and I was listening to the birds sing and all was right in the world. We had went in and uh, fed the kids breakfast and started kind of thinking about what we were going to do today. The kids started pulling out some toys and they were playing there. And uh, I was thinking about my giant never-ending to-do list and all the projects around the house And as I thought about it, I just picked up my phone and I laid on the couch and looked at Facebook. So I was laying there and I was scrolling through Facebook, making sure that I wasn't missing out on anything. And my wife, Ashley, had walked outside and she was doing something. I think she went to take something to the trash can that was uh, located around the side of our garage. And I was laying on the couch and all of a sudden she busts through the door and she comes running in the living room and she says, Josh, get up, get up, get up. And I said, what? She said, I I need you, come outside, I need you. And I thought maybe she saw a snake or something crazy happened. And I said, what what is going on? And she said, Joe is putting a for sale sign in his yard right now. Oh, I jumped out of the, oh, we jumped out of the couch or over the couch and we jumped out of the house and we were like two kids on Christmas morning running down the stairs. We ran across our yard over his driveway into his yard and walked up to him and said, Joe, what in the world are you doing? And he looked at us and he said, well, Josh and Ashley, we're out of here. I said, no. He said, yep, we're going we're gonna to move on, move out to the country. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, all these apartment complexes and neighborhoods. I just feel like we're getting smothered in. You think we're going to move out? I said, no, Joe, you can't. You can't move. No, you can't go. Uh, You see, the thing about Joe is Joe was the best neighbor ever. I'll tell you a little bit about Joe and his wife. Joe and his wife were empty nesters, and it was just the two of them living at home. And they both had great jobs. They would wake up every morning, and they would both go to work, and they would come home in the afternoon and have dinner together. And they were very quiet, except for they had matching Harley Davidsons. Yes, they had matching Harley Davidsons, and uh, this was the best part about them being my neighbors is on Fridays, they would gas up their Harleys, and they would drive out, and they were gone until Sunday evening. You would hear them coming back in, and they would park in the garage, and we'd kind of do the thing, and they would go on about their business. I loved having Joe as a neighbor. He always kept his grass cut perfectly. He always had his flower beds. There was not a weed in them. And when we would mow the grass, sometimes afterwards when we put our lawnmowers up, we would stand at the fence and we would talk a little bit. He was a great neighbor. But now he's, he's leaving. They're gone. Ashley and I started walking back to our house and you would have thought that we found our favorite goldfish, belly up. We were just heartbroken. And she said, well, what are we going to do? And I said, I don't know. She said, do you want to sell our house? And I said, I don't know. She said, do we have any friends that are looking for a house? And I said, I don't know. She goes, what do you know? And I said, I know we're about to get good new neighbors, but I don't know if they're going to be good. So I did what anybody would do. I turned into a spy. 
Yes, I turned into a spy. It was like James Bond instead of 007. It was more like six and a half. But the thing is that everybody that would pull into that driveway next door to us, I would spy on them. I bet I checked the mail 14 times in a day. Everybody that would come in, I would begin to assess the situation and start judging them. I would look, Ford pickup truck. They love America. All right. A Jeep. Mmm, with tires. I bet they own a lot of guns. A minivan. Oh, not a minivan. No, a minivan, which means they have kids, and then their kids are going to try to play with our kids, and it's going to be awkward, and then they're going to have toys all in their yard, and I bet they're going to have one of those Walmart pools, the one they never clean that falls down a year later, and they leave it up there for two more years. Oh, not the minivan people, not the minivan people. Everybody that pulled in the driveway... I began to judge and I began to look at it and I was trying to figure out what in the world was going on and eventually the house sold and we got new neighbors and it's okay. But whenever I would cut my grass and I would drive by Joe's side of the yard, I would look over looking for the, and it not be there. And my heart would be sad because I miss my neighbor. But then my heart became sadder when one day I started thinking about Joe and all the conversations that we had, and I realized that in everything we had talked about, I had never told him about Jesus. I had never shared the gospel with Joe. I remember this one time we did talk. It, it was kind of the beginning, and, and he was like, so what brings you to Murfreesboro? And you already know how this conversation is going to go. You're like, well, work. And he was like, oh, what do you do for work? And I'm in my mind debating, do I want to tell him or not? And I'm like, I'm a consultant. Okay, I'm a, I'm a pastor at New Vision, one of the guys there, and he was like, oh, pastor, huh? Like, mm, I'm waiting for it. Here it comes. He was like, so you love God? And I was like, yep, door swung wide open, crickets. I didn't step into it. I didn't really care enough about Joe to talk about that and I didn't want to be uncomfortable because I was a little scared of how the conversation would go I mean I didn't want to mess up our whole neighbor vibe but I realized that I had fallen short as a neighbor I had missed the biggest need that Joe had in his life I had never really gotten to know him enough to really know where he stood with Jesus and I had definitely dropped the ball on loving my neighbor Last week, Pastor Brady started a new sermon series called Neighborly, and it's based off of Luke chapter 10. Now, Luke chapter 10 is where uh, a lawyer, he's coming up to Jesus, and he's talking to Jesus, and people were always trying to get Jesus to stumble. They were trying to trick him up, and uh, they were like, what's the greatest commandment? There's 10 of them. What's the greatest one? And Jesus said, oh, that's easy. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. See, we're learning what it means to love our neighbor, to love God, and to love others. And I tell you what, today our true Bible story has rocked my world, and hopefully you'll be able to learn something about loving your neighbors the way that God wants us to. So let's open up our Bibles to Luke chapter 19, Luke chapter 19. So Luke is in the New Testament for all my kids. Luke is in the New Testament, excited about family worship. <laughs> 
Guys, you should have um, the insert. Kids, you should have a kids bulletin. And if you flip it over to the back of it, there's some notes you can follow along and we're gonna fill those in as we go through there. So grab your Bibles, uh, put your listening ears on and get your notes and let's get ready. So we're looking at Luke 19, big number 19, little number one. And let me give you some context while you're turning there. So Luke 19 is about three quarters of the way through the book of Luke. So what's gonna happen is Jesus has been going through town to town. He had been traveling with his disciples and he had been teaching people about the kingdom of God. He had been talking about God's great love, God's forgiveness, and he had been working miracles. And by this point, he had a pretty big following. People knew about Jesus. They had heard, he had a reputation. They, they had heard the name of Jesus kind of floating around the countryside. And this town, what we're about to see, Jericho, Jericho is going to be the last stop before Jesus enters Jerusalem. When he gets into Jerusalem, we're going to have Palm Sunday, we're going to have Holy Week, we're going to have Jesus in the upper room, we're going to have him arrested, tried, killed on the cross, and then he's going to come back to life. So all this is just days away. Jesus and everything that happens in Jerusalem, this is the last stop on his circuit before he enters into Jerusalem. So keep this in mind as we're talking about what's about to happen. So let's go. Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. So this is Jesus, the Son of God, who he sent to rescue us. Jesus enters Jericho and has made his way through the town. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. Everybody say Zacchaeus. All right. Zacchaeus, he was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. All right. We got to understand who Zacchaeus is. So you got this guy that he is in the city of Jericho. He is a chief tax collector. Now, here's the thing about tax collectors is that nobody liked tax collectors. Tax collectors, they worked for the Roman government. So he was a Jew that had sold out the Jews and went to work for the Roman government. Okay, so he's there. His job is, is really to oppress the Jews, to take money from them. Now, he's the chief tax collector, which tells us that he's high up. He probably has a lot of responsibility. A lot of other tax collectors is around him in a big region. And you would not become the chief tax collector by working hard. He's a pretty crooked dude. So we got Zacchaeus, who is a crooked tax collector that nobody likes, and he's rich. So here's the thing about being rich is that we're in Luke chapter 19. If we back up to the end of Luke chapter 18, there's this rich kid comes to Jesus and he says, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you have to do this. And he said, I've already done that. He said, there's one thing that you haven't done. He said, what's that? He said, you need to sell all your stuff, sell all your stuff and then come back to me. And he goes, nah, I'm out and he leaves. And Jesus, as he's walking away, Jesus looks at him and says, it is easier for a camel to enter into the kingdom of heaven than a rich man. And what he's doing is Jesus is not picking on people that are rich. He's not talking about money. What he's talking about is the love of money. Because here's the thing that we're learning from Luke, the author of this text, is he's telling us about Zacchaeus is not only Zacchaeus, a crooked dude, but his hope is in money. His idol is in money. Everything in his world is built around his status, his job, his wealth, the clothes he wears. His, his outward appearance is more important to him than what's going on on the inside. So Zacchaeus is a messed up dude. Well, let's find out what happens. 
It says that Zacchaeus, he was the chief tax collector in the region and he'd become very rich. But he tried to get a look at Jesus. He wanted to see Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road for Jesus was about to pass by this way. So Jesus, with his disciples, they enter into Jericho. There's the edge of the town. You see the shops, the stucco buildings with the tents and the tarps, the tables set up in the marketplace, the animals, people scurrying around, trading at the marketplace. And you, you hear this ruckus, this, this crowd. People are stopping. They're setting things down on the table to run to the edge of town. But nobody really knows what's going on. And then you hear this name, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus is here. Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus. And Zacchaeus hears this. And it perks his interest because he've, he's heard Jesus. See, the thing is that Zacchaeus, he doesn't know Jesus, but he knows about Jesus. And something inside of him stirs because he wants to know more about this Jesus, about who he is and, and, and what he does and what the big deal is. He wants to know about Jesus. So he looks and Jesus is coming down the street and he tries to get a good look to, to see, is he really who they say he is? And as he's looking, as he's looking towards Jesus, there's, there's other people that are cutting in front of him and he can't see over them. He tries to push his way, but he's too short. He can't see. So he looks around and maybe he sees a crate or a barrel and he tries to step up on it, but it still doesn't work. And he's beginning to get frustrated and he looks at Jesus and then he, he looks down the road and he sees that Jesus is gonna be walking by and over the crowd up above, standing tall, he sees a sycamore tree. A sycamore tree is a large tree with this white, beautiful white and gray tan bark with these huge, big limbs. And a lot of times they'll drop low and they have these big leaves, kind of like a fig tree. Zacchaeus looks at Jesus and he looks at the fig tree and he has an idea. Maybe, just maybe, if I could get up in that tree, then I'll be able to see Jesus because he's gonna walk right by this tree. So Jack. Zacchaeus looks just then and, and he walks over to the tree and he, and he looks up at it, but he has this wrestling inside of him. You see, a person of Zacchaeus' standard would not climb a tree. Children climb trees. Zacchaeus would not climb a tree, but he stood there in his expensive robe as he walks up to the tree and he looks at it and he looks and he sees a limb and he reaches up and his hand touches it. And he has to make a decision in his heart is he going to go against everything that everyone would say about him and everything that is normal? Would he step out and would he climb this tree to be able to see Jesus? And Zacchaeus does. He reaches up and he grabs it and the bark of the sycamore tree begins to, to penetrate and poke into his hand and it hurts, but it doesn't hurt as much as the longing in his heart to experience Jesus. Says that, Zacchaeus, he climbs the tree and he's there and he straddles a limb and he braces himself and he looks around and there he is. Here he comes, right under the tree. Says that, verse five, when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus. He looked up at Zacchaeus and he called him by name. He said, Zacchaeus, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your house today. I must be with you. 
Jesus, the Son of God, left the parade of all the people shouting his name and he walks over under a sycamore tree and he looks up and he sees a broken, sinful man and he looks at him and he calls him by name. Jesus knew Zacchaeus. Jesus knew his neighbor. It's number one. Jesus knew his neighbor. See, the thing is that Zacchaeus had never met Jesus. Zacchaeus did not know Jesus, but Jesus knew Zacchaeus and he knew everything about Zacchaeus. Let me explain. In the beginning, God created. God created the heavens and the earth. God created the things that we can see and things that we can't see. He created the sun, moon, stars, and he created things on the earth like the land and the sea and the the plants and the animals, the birds and the fish. And on the sixth day, God saved his best creation for last. Guess who that is? Us. You are God's masterpiece. If you ever feel like you're not worth anything, that's a lie. You are God's masterpiece. God saves his best creation for last and he created people. See, God knows you by name. He knows us by name. God knows more about us than we know about ourselves. See, the thing is that that God created us and he created Zacchaeus. Bible teaches us that God himself forms us in our mother's womb. Life is a miracle and God is the miracle worker. And just like us, he created Zacchaeus and he formed Zacchaeus in his mother's womb. God created us and he created us for two reasons. He created us one, to know him, to know him, to love him, to trust him, to experience a relationship with him. And the second reason he created us is to worship him. It's not about us, it's about God. God created us to know him and Jesus knew his neighbor. Jesus knew Zacchaeus. He knew Zacchaeus, he called him by name. They had never met face to face, but he called him by name. Then it goes on to say that he says, Zacchaeus, quick, come down, I must. Everybody say, I must. I must be a guest at your house. I must be with you. See, I must be with you. What Jesus was saying is that he knew Zacchaeus' biggest need. Not only did he know Zacchaeus, but he knew his heart. He knew his biggest need. And that's our second point, is that, that Jesus knows his neighbor's heart. He, he knows what his neighbors need. Because here's the, the end of the creation story. God created us. He created us wonderfully, fearfully, and perfectly made. He created us to be with him, to have a relationship with him, to love him, to trust him. But God doesn't make us love him. He doesn't make us trust him. He gives us the opportunity to love and trust him. But when we make a decision in our heart to go against God, to rebel against God, to choose what we want over what God wants, it's called a sin. And sin breaks our relationship with God. It messes everything up. And the truth is that there's nothing that we can do to fix it. We can't fix our sin problem. And there Jesus, looking up in a tree, sees a broken, sinful man that not only did he know, but he knew what he needed. He knew exactly what he needed. He needed to be with Jesus. Zacchaeus needed to experience Jesus. In a month, we're going to be going back to school. It's been a great half a summer. we got another summer left. But when we go back to school, 
We're gonna be able to meet our new teachers. We're gonna be able to make new friends. We're gonna be able to learn new things. And one day, just maybe one day, as we get ready to walk into the cafeteria to have lunch, we're gonna be with our class. And maybe you've packed your lunch. Maybe your parents packed it for you, but you carry your lunch. Or, or maybe you're gonna buy lunch at school. Don't forget to get the vegetables. The lunch lady will get on to you. And you take your tray and then you walk over to your sign table and there all of our friends are. And I, I take my tray and I sit it down and all the friends, we start talking about all the things. But we look over and a few seats down, separated from everyone else, is a kid that no one is talking to and they're not talking to anyone else and you could see that they're hurting. So we have to make a decision in our heart. Are we, gonna, are we gonna turn our backs to them and are we gonna just talk to our friends about whatever or are we gonna walk over and are we gonna talk to them? Are we going to encourage them? Are we gonna offer them the hope that we know that only Jesus could bring? See, the thing is that we're surrounded by Zacchaeus's every day. We maybe have them at work. We maybe live next door to them. Maybe you go to school. Maybe you uh, hang out with them. Maybe they're in your small group. See, there's Zacchaeus. There's hurting people all around us. We don't have to be Jesus to see that someone's hurting. But we have to make the decision in our heart. If we're gonna step across the fence, we're gonna leave our comfortable place and we're gonna step in and we're gonna engage them. We're gonna be able to tell them about the hope of Jesus. But here's the thing, we have to remember that whenever we talk to someone that is hurting, we do not need to give them our opinion. All we need to do is to point them to Jesus, the truth. We need to point them to Jesus, that he is the hope, that he is the one that they need to seek. Because see, Jesus knew Zacchaeus, he knew his neighbor, and he knew his neighbor's biggest need, and he knew that only Zacchaeus's biggest need could be met by him. See, just like Zacchaeus, we're all a bunch of Zacchaeuses. We're all a bunch of broken people in need of a savior. We all need Jesus, whether we realize it or not. But there was something inside of Zacchaeus that day that led him, this hunger that led him to want to know more about Jesus. And this led to an experience with Jesus. So Zacchaeus is in a tree, and Jesus calls him by name and says, Zacchaeus, quick, come down. I must be a guest at your home today. So here's what Zacchaeus does. Zacchaeus quickly climbs down and he took Jesus to his house in great excitement. Zacchaeus, like a little kid, climbs down out of the tree. He comes down out of the tree and he meets Jesus. He experiences Jesus and he is overwhelmed with excitement. When I read that verse, I was so convicted because I asked myself a question. Do I still get excited about Jesus? Do I still truly get excited about experiencing Jesus? Or has Jesus just become this thing that I do, kind of a, this check mark on a list, this, this shirt that I put on when I'm around certain people? Or do I truly at my core get excited about who Jesus is and what he's done in my life. Zacchaeus was fired up. He was excited to be with Jesus. He said, he said, Jesus, you're coming with me. Let's go to my house. And they left and they go to his house. And then it says, verse seven, but the people, 
The people around the crowd was displeased. They said, he has gone to be a guest of this notorious sinner, they grumbled. Why is he going to be with this sinner? Ugh, how dare Jesus leave us to go be with him? See, some, somewhere along the way, they missed it. They thought that being holy meant separating yourself from sinners. But what Jesus was showing them is that he left the crowd and he went and found the outcast. He found the one that needed him the most. He was with Zacchaeus. You know, thinking about neighbors, I was counting up how many different neighbors I've had, how many different houses I've lived in over my years. And I landed on 13. I've lived in 13 different houses or apartments over the years. Now, there was the house I grew up in, and then we moved when I was in high school. And then there was the, I went to college, and I played the rent house game. A lot of y'all are with me, you know, where you're just pretty much finding the cheapest rent, and whoever will let you sleep on their couch for a little bit. And then I graduate college, and then I go, and I get my own house. I have my own house. No more roommates. I'm there, and I have a house, and it's mine the yard's mine, the house is mine. I'm so proud of it. I'm so excited about it. See, the thing is, over 13 different houses, I've met a lot of different neighbors. And not all of them were that great. Actually, there's a couple that stand out in my mind. Like the leaf blower guy. Now, the leaf blower guy, let me tell you a little bit about him. So I had this new yard that I was excited about and it had these big oak trees, very mature oak trees. So in the fall, all the leaves would, would fall into the yard and I had leaves everywhere, right? And at one point in my life, I was actually excited about raking the leaves. So I would go out and I would rake all the leaves up and I'd put them in a pile and then I would sit back at the green, luscious yard, not a leaf in it. I would get rid of the leaves and then I would go inside and the next morning I would wake up and go outside to get in my truck and I would turn around and look and my yard would be covered with leaves. I was like, oh, are you kidding me? So then I would go to work and then that afternoon I would go and I would rake the leaves again just to wake up and it, to have leaves all in my yard. And I couldn't figure out what was going on. I looked up and I was like, man, there's no more leaves left on these trees. And then one day it happened. I heard a leaf blower down the street, about four houses. I heard him fired up, and I'm looking, I'm like, man, that's nice. He started blowing his leaves, right? I'm holding a rake, and I was like, I need to get a leaf blower. Is that electric or gas? Okay. So I watch for a minute, and then it unfolds. So he takes all of his leaves, and he blows them in a pile at the edge of his driveway, and then he steps into the street and he blows them all out into the middle of the street and then he blows them all towards my house. I said, are you kidding me? This dude just blew all of his leaves in the neighbor's yard. Oh, I was so angry. I was so angry, but not as mad as this. There was the lady that lived across the street. Now there was an elderly lady and she was okay. But when the whole thing went south was when she had a pack, I mean a wolf pack of chihuahuas, right? She had these chihuahuas and, and it was crazy. It was like one of those deals where she all gave them like people names, right? It's like, come here, Elizabeth. Come on, Karen. Come on, Ralphie. So I knew that she had these dogs, but 
it started to get weird whenever I would cut my grass. And if you have a dog, you know exactly where I'm going with this. So I would cut my grass and I would mow over something. And I'd be like, man, what is that smell? Man, squirrels, maybe? It's a big squirrel. So I would mow my grass and I never really could put my hand on what was happening. Until one day I got sick. And I stayed at home, and I remember I'd, I'd gone to the kitchen window, and I was putting something in the sink, and I looked up, and I saw her. She opened the door, out come all the yappers, and then she leads them across the street into my yard, and they do their business. Oh, in my yard. Oh, I was furious. I was so angry. I got so angry. I just started plotting. Oh, I went down this pit of despair. I was like, you know what? You know what? I'm going to just, I'm going to go. I'm going to bag it all up and I'm going to put it on the doorsteps. Yep, I'm going to bag it all up and I'm going to put it on the doorsteps and I'm going to ring the bell. The leaves. The le- I'm going to bag the leaves. You, tw- you are worse than I am. See, the, the point is... I, I was, I, was, I, was, I was upset. I was so upset. I did not care anything about who they were. I didn't care anything about who their hearts or where their hearts were. All I cared about is that they were encroaching on my space. See, the thing is, I didn't care anything about their salvation. I didn't care anything about where they were going to spend eternity. All I, I really, to be completely transparent, is I began to hate them. I began to despise them. I would drive by their house and I would have these like wicked, terrible thoughts about how much I didn't like them. I would judge them. See, I would begin to judge them, but, but the truth is that I have no room to judge anybody. See, when we judge people, what we're doing is we're putting ourselves in God's seat. We're saying that we are as good as God and that, that we are better than that person. See, when I judge someone, I'm sinning against God. When I judge someone, I'm pointing fingers at them, but I'm forgetting about what God has done for me. See, point number three is that we can never forget what Jesus did for us. We can't forget what Jesus done for us. We are broken sinners. I am a broken, sinful man. I'm a messed up dude. I have no, I have no right to stand on the stage and to tell you anything. I'm just here reading God's word, trying to be transformed because I want to be more like Jesus. The truth is I have no room to judge anyone. I need Jesus. I need Jesus more than anyone else. Jesus got that. The crowd didn't. Jesus knew who Zacchaeus was. He knew what Zacchaeus needed. And he stepped into that because Jesus is the only one that can offer it. See, we're all broken. We're all broken. We're all hopeless. But the hope is that Jesus knows that and he did something about it. The great thing is that when God created us, he created us for a relationship. But sin messed everything up. But the great news is that before God ever created the sun, moon, stars, before he ever created you and I, before he ever created Zacchaeus, he knew what was gonna happen. He knew that sin was gonna come into this world and it was gonna mess everything up. And God had a plan from the very beginning that he was gonna do something about it. He was going to leave heaven himself in the form of a man and come down to make a way that we could be rescued from our sins. Our only hope is Jesus and who he is and what he did for us. Jesus 
Jesus calls Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus comes down. The crowd grumbles. They point fingers. They judge. But here, verse 8, it says, Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor. Lord, if I have cheated any people on their taxes, I will give back to them four times as much. Zacchaeus' life was changed forever. Zacchaeus had an encounter with Jesus and he was radically changed. He was a different guy. He had turned away from worshiping money. He had turned away from his hope being in money. His hope was in his job. His hope was in his status. His hope was in his clothes, his outward appearance, his house, anything this world had to offer that ended up being a lie. His hope was now moved from all those things to Jesus. He had truly repented. And you could tell because he's willing to give up the one thing that he valued the most. He was willing to sacrifice that idol. The thing that he made most important in his life, he was now worshiping the most important thing in anyone's life, Jesus. So I ask myself, who do I worship? Have I allowed anything to creep in and to be my idol? Anything to take my hope? Am I putting my hope in anything except Jesus? If I am, then I need to turn from it and ask God forgiveness. I need to repent and I need to put my hope back in Jesus. Zacchaeus, he had put his hope in Jesus. He was a changed man. And here's how we know why. Jesus Jesus himself tells us in verse 9, Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this house today. This house today, this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. Salvation today. See, the thing is, whenever we put our trust in Jesus, our life is transformed radically right then. Right then. We are forgiven of our sins. The judgment against our sins is taken away. God no longer looks at us and sees all the horrible things we have done. Instead, he sees Jesus and what Jesus did for us on the cross. Amen. He sees Jesus And now when God looks at Zacchaeus, he sees a changed man. Jesus himself says it's salvation. He is a son of Abraham. Abraham was made right by faith. Zacchaeus now put his faith from the things of this world. He now put them in Jesus. Zacchaeus is a changed man. But here's the bottom line. Here's the takeaway. Y'all ready, kids? Verse 10. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. The son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. Here's our bottom line. Here's our takeaway. Is that Jesus came to seek and save those who are lost. Y'all say it with me. Say, Jesus came to seek and save those that are lost. Let's think about who Jesus is. Jesus is the rescuer, the son of God sent to make a way that we could be saved from our sins, our brokenness, to seek, to seek. Seek means to look for something, to relentlessly look for something. I promise you, me and probably everybody in here, if you lost your phone, guess what? You're not leaving this place until you find it. You're gonna seek it. You're gonna go after it. You're gonna look for it, to seek and save. Jesus is the only one that can save us from our sins, the lost. What does it mean to be lost? Imagine I'm driving my car, going down the road. I got my favorite song on. I turn the radio up, roll the windows down a little bit, and I'm rocking out. 
singing every word to my favorite song and I'm just, life is good and I'm blowing down the highway and I forget what's happening and before I realize it, I miss my exit. But I keep going and I keep going and I keep singing the song and I keep playing the tune and, and eventually something starts to look different. Something doesn't feel right. Eh, but I'm in control. I'm driving the car, so I'm gonna keep going. And then eventually, eventually, I start, to, I start to have this doubt. Do I really know what's happening? And then the pride kicks in. No, I can do it. I can do it. I can work harder. I can work hard. I can drive faster. Until there's a moment. It's when I finally run out of gas. And I'm standing there, and I have to admit to myself, I'm lost. I am lost. Zacchaeus was lost, but Jesus, in his great love, he sought him out and he saved him. Zacchaeus, his life was changed forever. Our bottom line says that that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And what this means for you, if if you were here and you've never put your trust in in Jesus, if you feel like Zacchaeus, you feel like, man, my my hope is in the wrong thing. I'm worshiping the wrong thing. I hear what you're saying, but but it just, it doesn't make sense. Well, guess what? Neither does a grown man climbing a tree. See, the thing is that, that he had to humble himself like a child and climb up in that tree. And when he did, his heart was longing for something more. His heart inside of it had this hunger. You know, when God created us, he created us with that hunger. He put this hunger in us, just like Zacchaeus. He, he didn't know everything about Jesus. He didn't know Jesus personally, but something inside of him was telling him that he needed to pursue Jesus. He needed to know more about Jesus. He needed to meet Jesus. We have that hunger in us and that hunger God put there to help us to know that this world is not enough, that we were created for so much more. We were created to to be with him and that only happens through Jesus. If you're here and you say, I got it. My, My trust is in Jesus. My faith is in Jesus. I know without a doubt, but what do you want me to do? What do I do with this message? Then here, here's where we're at. The bottom line, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Guess what our job is? to seek and save the lost. We are called to join Jesus on his mission. As a church, as a follower of Jesus, we are called to seek out those that do not know Jesus, be it our neighbor or be it someone at work or be it someone on the ball team or be it a friend or be it someone that lives in a different town. We are called to seek and save the lost, but we can't save anybody. We are to point them to Jesus, the Savior. You know, I think a lot about Joe, and I do miss him. I have no idea where he's at or if I'll ever see him again. But I have this conviction, this longing inside my heart, and here it is. Is I want to know without a doubt when the day comes that I load up the U-Haul and I pull out my driveway for the very last time that I didn't drop the ball again. And there's not some other Joe in my life that I, I didn't tell about Jesus. You know, We are called to tell people about Jesus. We have to trust that where God has put us is strategic for us to be able to carry the gospel message. Our houses are not to be forts where we spend all of our time and our money and our resources keeping people out. Our call, our houses should be outposts. 
to where every day we wake up and we carry the gospel further. We carry the gospel further. We carry the gospel further. We are called to love our neighbor. I know that I've fallen short, but I pray that God would do something amazing in the lives of my neighbors and my life and to help me to love my neighbor, the God that, the way that God wants me to. Pray with me. We're praying in three, two, one. God, I thank you so very much for the truth of your word. I thank you for the opportunity to be able to, to read through the true Bible story that there really was a guy named Zacchaeus, that one day he really did climb a tree and he really did have an encounter with Jesus and his life was never the same. I pray for my friends that are here, God, that if they've never encountered Jesus, I pray that they would. I pray that they would step out like a child and just surrender everything and forget about the crowd, forget about what other people say, forget about what people think, but just to be able to, to meet you. God, I pray that you would help us to just love our neighbors well. God, forgive me where I've dropped the ball, where I've been so selfish and so hateful that I just think about me and I've stopped thinking about them. God, help me to see people, to, to see my neighbor, to love my neighbor the way that you see them. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we'd like to invite you to one of our Sunday morning services. We meet at 8.20, 9.40, and 11 a.m. If you would like more information or would like to watch or listen to more of our services, please visit us online at newvisionlive.com. This broadcast is brought to you by New Vision Baptist Church, where our mission is guiding people to lives of gospel transformation.